Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. Welcome to Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, this is still exciting. It's been two or three weeks now. The show is introduced with Melody Federer, who is a singer-songwriter, and the song you're listening to is This Town, going straight to the top, I think. A no? classic, already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number something with a bullet. I don't know what yes, the number absolutely. is on the hit parade. Here's my, here's my thought, Connor. Melody is bound to be on something like Colbert pretty soon. Do you think, you think maybe while she's on the couch there with Stephen Colbert, you think she'll be able to work in... Too many lawyers as, as oh shout us kind out of the reason for, yeah. for her success with uh, this, this town no because no. Um, what what because I think that would I think that would tarnish her her shine you know um, she's got a great thing going I don't think she needs to bring herself down to our level um, but that's okay you know we'll we'll get our name out there some other way. You know, I, I kind of have a bit of a connection myself with Stephen Colbert because one time I was in the audience, this was a couple of years ago, and I was actually on the aisle, and uh, during one of the commercial breaks, one of the staff assistants said, now, Stephen is going to be saying goodbye just before the end of the show, goodbye, he'll be standing in the aisle, he'll tell about the next day's show, and mm-hmm. then he's going to run up the aisle. Now, the thing is, the people in the aisle can can touch his hand, but it's important, no high fives, because it could hurt his shoulder, and no low fives, because he would, might hurt his back reaching down. So it has to be a medium five. Medium so five. It was a lot of pressure on him, and I actually got <laughs> a, hurt the star. I got a medium five. Wow, medium Colbert. five. So between that connection and Melody on the couch, I'm just saying. You're basically a celebrity already. We have uh, a lot of stuff we want to talk about, Connor, uh, COVID and act of God issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a legal issue that we can delve a little into, a little bit into, uh, and it's a, an area that's evolving. Yeah. Uh, businesses need help with insurance coverage, and there are act of God clauses that say, well, you know, we will or we won't pay for losses uh, if it's uh, force majeure, as they say, or an act of God. We'll get into that. We're also going to get into big uh, Supreme Court decision that said, you know what? Um, if you're going to have a criminal case in state court, you have to have a unanimous vote to convict somebody. And that is a turnaround. They dumped a 1972 Supreme Court decision. So we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about uh, lawsuit palooza. Everybody's filing lawsuits in the wake of uh, the pandemic. 
And we're going to get into the culture wars. Uh, is it going to be the key to Trump's reelection campaign? Before we do that, though, I want to announce uh, we've got a new feature to the show. It's called Bunker Diaries. It's a one-minute spot where we kind of rapid-fire go over the uh, stories of the week. Uh, and we're going to be uh, having Bunker Diaries for you just before the first break. And right after the second break, uh, there are my missives from our bunker here. Speaking of the bunker, Connor, we've inflicted uh, your mom and I several films on you this week here in the bunker. Uh, Damn Yankees, uh, the Tab Hunter, Ray Walston film, and mm-hmm. uh, Gwen Verdon. A course. classic. Yeah. Uh, and we also watched Moonstruck, uh, the Cher vehicle, Very good. which uh, netted her an Oscar best actor. Weird. A weird movie. Well, Nicolas Cage played a, a Brings some, a weird some bizarre, character. surreal acting, as always, to his roles. The trip we saw with Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, mm-hmm. fabulous. If you think you don't like travel movies, check out the trip. Uh, you've got to be a Michael Caine and uh, Sean Connery fan. That would help. And North by Northwest, uh, the classic with... Cary Grant. Cary Grant, a uh, fabulous film. So we've been busy watching the celebrities. And a couple of weeks ago... I, uh, I told you about my brush with fame, Connor, where uh, Jeff Goldblum and I hung out at JFK. We didn't actually hung out. I yelled at him <laughs> from about 30 yards away. Oh, yeah. We went over. It was a great story. Yeah. It was a great story. It, that was my You're brush with fame. You're basically a celebrity. Well, the thing is, I've brushed up against a few celebrities. and Physically. The, the other one I wanted to mention is Dan Aykroyd. I mean, one of my absolute favorites from SNL. And, Ghost know, films. And, of course, Gross Point Blank. He did a great job in that one he as did. well. So I saw Dan Aykroyd in federal court a oh, year, year and a half ago. And he was in court because his company was in litigation with another company over the design on a vodka bottle. And so Dan was there with his um, lawyer and a couple of lawyers, I guess. And I spotted him. And I was there with my clients because we were in the middle of a trial. Here in the cafeteria having a cup of coffee sandwich. And I made the mistake, Connor, of saying to my client, there's Dan Aykroyd a little too loudly. I said it so loudly, Dan heard me. Oh, my goodness. And he gave me the death glare. <laughs> it, through his Ray-Bans, by the way, because, you know, he was he was wearing the aviators. Right. High and end. You're not Didn't want to su- be spotted. I think you're not supposed to mention uh, the name of the celebrity. Right. He really didn't like well, it. Well, I mean, you're, he's in a courthouse, and, and there's nothing good happens oh, in yeah, a courthouse stressed a celebrity. Out, I'm sure. Know? By the way, he ended up winning his case, so, so he had a happy memory. But at the moment, you don't know if you're going to win and so on. Right. I was tempted, you know, before he gave me the death glare, I was tempted to go up and just kind of have a little fun with him because I feel like I know him so well seeing him on TV so we many all years. That, yeah. yeah. I, I went, would go up and ask for an, uh, an autograph, and I felt like saying, yeah, if you could just make it out to, to Royal, you know, from Fred Garvin, male prostitute. Now, you may not know, Connor, for if you're not a huge SNL fan. Not a fan, huge SNL. One of his recurring characters was Fred Garvin, male prostitute, and he would dress up in a horrible polyester sport coat and two short pants and uh, argyle socks, and he made his living by you know connecting with the ladies who wanted to spend time with sure. Fred Garvin, male prostitute. Sure. If I had done that, I think he would have hit me over the head with, nah, he might have with his fish a smile. Taco. You never know. Uh, not the way he reacted when Probably I not. mentioned his Probably name. Not. It is interesting how people respond to seeing the famous. Yeah. Uh, during the Rodney, I'm sure they get really tired of it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. During the Rodney King cop trial in the early 90s, you know, the Rodney King riots were in 1992, then they put the cops on trial for beating Rodney. Right. A friend of mine, Iris Salzman, was representing one of the cops. I think it was Star- Sergeant Stacy Kuhn. And so uh, Ira was really famous because he was on TV every single day. It was a state court trial that was on TV. And the nation was mesmerized. It was not quite to the level of the O.J. Simpson mania of a few years later, but it was kind of close. I mean, everybody was watching. And I invited Ira to go to an Angels game. 
And I went to the game with him. And from the time we left the car to the time we got to the seats, I'm telling you, it was like going to the game with Paul Newman. Wow. It was that level of attention, people's you know, heads turning. For the millennials out there, Paul Newman is the guy on your dressing <laughs> bottle who you've never heard of. Newman's what? own. It's delicious. Are you uh, kidding? Joanne uh, Woodward's no husband. One, no one has any idea who Paul Newman is. Well, Google Paul Newman, folks, if you, if you don't know him. And or if you like dressing. Of, see all of his wonderful movies. But, I mean, it was really remarkable because it was like going to the ball game with Omega celebrity because people couldn't take their eyes off of him. He was on TV every day. And it was funny. I went to another game a week or 10 days later, and I hear somebody yell about 10 rows behind me. He says, where's Oliver? And I don't know if we're talking about it. I don't pay attention. Then he yells, where's Oliver? And I turn around and look at him to see, is he talking to me? Why would he be talking to me? And he points at me. He says, yeah, where's Oliver Stone? And it was obvious. He had been there the week before, and he saw me with this famous guy. He thought it was Oliver Stone, the director who made you know, yeah, JFK. Yeah, movies, yeah. Yeah, so it lingers, you know, the effect. <laughs> so you have third-hand celebrity. You were at a baseball game with a guy that somebody else thought was Oliver Stone. You're basically the president. Brush with fame. Hey, uh, a big uh, thank you to Peter uh, for a nice note uh, about our podcast. And he also gave us some technical advice about sound recording. Uh, I'm not going to give his last name, Connor, because for all we know, Peter's in the Witness Protection Program. Smart. And although he sent his first and last name in the Facebook post right. to me, maybe he was just not thinking. You know, And he let it slip. And, he and, let it slip. Yeah, and the mafia will be after him. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. just going to call him Peter. But Good again, call. Good thank call. you, too. If any of you would like to reach us, either through Facebook or, or Twitter at Royal Oaks, so please do. Or we've got an email address for the show. Too many lawyers podcast at gmail.com. That's too many lawyers podcast at gmail.com. And we are changing from TWO to TOO, too many lawyers. So either one works for the email. So uh, the culture wars, uh, they're back, Connor, uh, with a vengeance. Uh, a lot of folks say, doggone it, get us back to normal. We want to go to the beaches. We want to go to the malls. And a lot of other people are saying, are you kidding? You're playing with people's lives. Uh, folks are taking sides in Michigan. Uh, a lot of protesters are getting a lot of ink. That state's governor banned all gatherings of any size, including in people's homes. If you own a second home in Michigan, you may not travel between them. And these big box stores uh, that sell food or medicine, okay, but you can't go to the paint section or the furniture or the plant section. The governor says that's verboten. Do you think this could blossom into sort of a them versus us? Uh, the elites are disrespecting the regular folks to re to uh, benefit Trump in his reelection campaign? I mean, it might. I think it, it's 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 an area where you can make an attempt to draw an us versus them line. But I think the narrative on the left that rich people want poor people to go back to work and die uh, to keep uh, the system running is as powerful or more powerful. Mm-hmm. So I don't think um, I don't think that 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 it's going to be an especially fruitful avenue of. Uh, of angering uh, Trump's base because I think a lot of Trump's base is scared by COVID. And while there is this, uh, as we talked about in a previous episode, this astroturfed um, and and widely covered, really, really widely covered um, protest movement, uh, which is so such a small slice of people who just are get out there and are loud and don't wear masks and drive around. So they're still driving around. The protests are mostly in cars at the beginning, and now they're 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 in person. Um, 
they're getting so much attention, but I don't think it's really a a movement that's going to generate a lot of political ground the way the Tea Party did. Uh, you may be right. I am, I'm I'm going to tell you why I think that it could take um, off. Uh, but first, uh, we are going to inaugurate our new feature. It is called Bunker Diaries. I hope you enjoy it. I'm legal analyst Royal Oaks with the Bunker Diaries. Workers' comp claims. Does COVID-19 give you a claim? Good news and bad. If you caught it because Mildred and the next cubicle sneezed all over you, you're out of luck. No comp claim. But if you're in healthcare and you catch it doing your job, you may have a right to benefits. Prisoner release. Inmates are being released in a dozen states. Some cynics say criminals on the streets. Gun shops closed down. What can go wrong? But governments from sea to shining sea are saying jails are a petri dish for spreading coronavirus, so something's got to give. At last, some good news for Michael Avenatti. The federal judge in his upcoming California embezzlement trial is thinking about springing the convicted Avenatti because of conditions in New York. Let's swear in Stormy and get her opinion. And finally, yes, there's non-corona legal news. A marijuana dispensary company is suing their lawyers for malpractice. It's claimed the barristers were smoking dope during business meetings and they dropped a few stitches. I bet the plaintiff won't care what the jury is on as long as the verdict is high. I'm Royal Oaks with The Bunker Diaries. So that is our new feature, Bunker Diaries. This is Too Many Lawyers. Connor and I are going to be back in just a moment. But please do subscribe to Too Many Lawyers uh, if you like what you hear. And Yeah, uh, just go on uh, iTunes and uh, leave a review or leave us uh, you know, a, a written review or rate us with stars or any other uh, iTunes or other podcast platforms you use to, uh, to rate or find podcasts. It helps. Every little bit helps and uh, just helps get our name out there and up charts so that more people see us. We'll be right back with Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. We're talking about whether the culture wars arising out of the pandemic are going to help Trump. You know, um, Wall Street Journal columnist uh, McGurn uh, said uh, he's convinced, and I kind of agree with him, that citizen protests are popping up uh, all over the country about the lockdowns. A CNN critic calls them COVID-19 deniers. And it reminds me of what helped Trump. And a friend of mine, who was also a client uh, in the Philadelphia area, told me, that there was a bumper sticker in Pennsylvania during the Trump uh, campaign against Hillary, and the bumper sticker said, uh, expressed a lot of anger over the fact that Obama had called uh, people who cling to their religion and their guns, uh, he was essentially calling them the deplorables before Hillary thought of it. And one of the the bumper stickers uh, that my friend Frank saw stated, uh, we are bitter clingers. And he said they cropped up all over rural Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and it yeah. sort of presaged the critical swing to Trump of Pennsylvania, same kind of thing in Michigan and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you're going to see this phenomenon where people like that are going to say they're at it again. The elites are looking down on us. They think we're stupid. We don't understand science. They think we're risking people's lives. In fact, we are making up our own mind about you know freedom and liberties versus risks and opening the economy. People are going to die from not opening the economy. Don't you think that that could sort of take hold? And don't you think Trump sees that as as a path to victory? I mean, he, you're right. 
Absolutely, that is a path. And it is a, it is a path, I think, that is going to generate ire from the existing Trump base. And is a, that's going to excite people. And that's going to bring them out to vote because people don't like being told that things are bad, that the news is bad, that they should be worried and change their behavior as a result. People like to be told that they should keep their behavior exactly as it is. And so Trump has the advantage, the sort of status quo advantage of saying, go back to the status quo and normal and what you want to do already. People are so already inclined to go to want to go do what they already yeah, do. Springtime, the weather's wonderful yeah, out br- there. Bring back real, you know, normal life. That's so much more seductive. It's really hard. And I think people are going to get more and more sick of hearing doctors and scientists on TV telling them things that they don't understand very well and telling them, well, we're not through it yet and you've got to keep this going and there's no, uh, there's no you know, end in sight and creating plans just creates this sort of nebulous network of possibilities of, well, if the, the rates go up and the rates go down and we have to take more actions and shrink or grow uh, you know, public activity and, and sort of turn the dials. That's a really wishy-washy process. That's really yeah. scary. That's really hard to sell. Whereas Trump's position is, well, just start opening up. Just start going the right direction. Yep. It'll all work out if we if we just keep you know continue opening it's simple, up. Simple, straightforward, and appealing. It is, and simple and straightforward are are just inherently very appealing. On the other hand, I think that Trump's base, being the people who are most at risk for this uh, virus. Uh, that is, older people are generally more conservative, and they're more likely to be Trump voters. Um, I think that is is going to cut against him. I think that the idea of you know the left's uh, attitude of you want to sacrifice grandma to open up the economy again that actually is going to resonate with a lot of people out there who are like, oh yeah, I have a grandma, or mm-hmm. oh yeah, I am a grandma. And I think this that that notion cutting directly into Trump's base is going to make his strategy less effective. But if you got enough misinformation and you just tell enough people that their governors are lying to them for some reason and that they want to keep the gov- keep the, the state shut for no reason, even though it destroys their political career and makes them unpopular and hurts their, their local economy, it just doesn't make any sense. Like to me, the, the whole conspiracy idea just doesn't ring true because it's not like you say, oh, well, there's a shadowy cabal that controls the economy and makes... Uh, makes the economy, uh, uh, makes tons of money for this shadowy right. elite. Faking or exaggerating the effects of COVID just makes the economy worse. Like, nobody makes money off of right. this. It's not like, like, the only conspiracy theories that even have, uh, make logical sense, even though they don't make any sense at all, at least they follow a, a through path of A equals B equals C, is the idea that somehow people are uh, going to sell us a, an expensive vaccine. You think this vaccine is going to be expensive and make money? Are right. you kidding? The government is going to pay, if not 100% for it, uh, for, you know, 99.99%. COVID-19 vaccine, if, if, the gov- if the COVID-19 vaccine came out before the election, which it won't, but if it came out before any election and it cost any amount of money that uh, more than like twenty dollars that that you know would actually affect people's ability to pay it or help get you know find help to to get it paid for, there would be riots in the streets. Yep. That is the only thing that Trump could actually do to get himself kicked out of office is allow the COVID nineteen vaccine to cost. Well, no, I think money. You're, I think you're right, but I think we'll know a lot more in about a month as to uh, the effect of this uh, this so called culture war issue. Hey, let's talk about the Supreme Court. Uh, big decision this week, Connor. Uh, yeah, Ramos. 
uh, they said uh, that, you know, if you've got a criminal case in state court and you want to convict somebody, you've got to do it with a unanimous vote. And people say, well, well of course, why not? Well, right. 48 states have agreed with that. But Oregon and Louisiana over the years have said, no, we think 10 to 2 would be okay to convict somebody. Well, the Supreme Court said no. Now, what's significant about that in terms of abortion and other huge issues? Mm-hmm. What's significant is in making this decision, the Supreme Court dumped its precedent of 1972, its own decision where they said, oh, yeah, it's okay for state courts to do that if they want. And, of course, people are now saying, well, gee, does that mean they might take another look at Roe versus Wade? Right. And so the Supreme Court has gotten into this issue about when do you ignore precedent? Mm -hmm. So the courts run on this principle called stare decisis, and it is a Latin phrase, but it, it basically means that the, you look backwards at court decisions from the past, and you let those decisions stand, and you defer to them. They become law. When I when I make a decision as a judge, and I write an opinion, that opinion becomes a law in the same way that if a legislature passed a law, that is on the books, right? These old law old lawsuits uh, that turn into to opinions, judicial opinions on appeal that come from uh, federal courts or state appeals courts. Um, or, or the Supreme Court, um, they become law that you can refer to and cite in a future case right. and say, look, they did it then, we're going to do it this way now. And the highest profile example of this phenomenon was back in the late 1800s, there was a case called Plessy versus Ferguson. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court said, separate but equal facilities for black and white people. Oh, that's okay. Sure. As long as they're... As long as you both have a water fountain. As long as, as they're really make, nice right, exactly. water fountains. Yeah. So yeah. 1954, right. 58 years later, the U.S. Supreme Court said, not really. Brown versus Board of Education explicitly overturned their own decision mm-hmm. saying separate but equal is inherently unequal. So yeah. it can happen. So and now people a, are asking. This is like a big, broad concept. In, in one yeah. case, Plessy versus Ferguson was about uh, seating uh, people on trains. There were right. there were black people trains uh, cars and white people train cars um, and, uh, and, and, and water fountains and the rest. And Brown versus Board of Education was integration of schools. So. The, that was the government. In Brown versus Board of Education, I actually had two cases called Brown versus, was Brown versus Board of Education 1 and Brown versus Board of Education 2. And in 2, the Supreme Court came back and did, had sort of revisited the same issue and said, hey, southern states that aren't integrating schools even after our Brown versus Board of Education 1, we're going to send in the National Guard to enforce this mm-hmm. and to forcibly integrate black students into white schools. It was a massive change in the role of the Supreme Court. They used the National Guard to force black children to be able to go to the schools where white children were exclusively going. And people looked at that and said, this is a whole new world. And we, we not only transferred from you know train cars and water fountains to educational systems, but then we used the National Guard to enforce it. So, of course, that became sort of the touchstone for all future Supreme Court decisions where the Supreme Court overturned itself and used forceful efforts to actively, you know, put into place its decisions. That, that is, is very rarely happened in Absolutely. American history. I mean, it's hard to call to mind even one other time. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about the possible impact of this Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade. Uh, but first, we're going to pause. This is Too Many Lawyers. Stick with us.
We are back with Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oak. And I'm Connor Oaks. And we're going to finish up our discussion of a possible uh, impact on Roe versus Wade of a recent Supreme Court decision. But first, as promised, uh, the second installment of our new feature, Bunker Diaries. I'm legal analyst Royal Oaks with the Bunker Diaries. Gun sales. California can't make up its mind. L.A. Sheriff says gun shops are not essential businesses. A few hours later, L.A.'s county council says yes, they are. Meantime, guns and ammo sales nationally go through the roof. Ballpark guess here. The chance you'll need a gun to fight off roving bands, one in ten million. Chance you'll shoot Aunt Bertha in the buttocks as she raids the fridge, one in ten thousand. Evictions. Exactly one week off, rent is due. San Francisco is trying to limit evictions. Shocker. Sacramento is toying with the idea of a statewide eviction ban. They return to work mid-April. Harvey Weinstein update. He's having his worst year ever. He's positive for COVID-19. He's been sentenced to 23 years. He's 67 now. Only good news is when he gets out, he won't be too old to run for president. He's about to be extradited to L.A. for another trial, and to top it all off, he's in prison in Buffalo, New York. And finally, yes, Virginia, you must send a selfie to prove you're in quarantine. At least if you're in Poland. The cops there require virus patients to prove they're sheltering in place by sending selfies proving their location. A kind of proof of unpleasant life requirement. I'm Royal Oaks with the Bunker Diaries. We are back with too many lawyers who have been talking about the Supreme Court decision, Connor, in uh, this deal about uh, unanimous criminal court decisions. And Mm -hmm. interestingly, there was a occurring opinion by Justice Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court decision that gives some instruction as to when you overturn an old uh, decision. Because, you know, we've been talking about, you know, when you... You know, kick out Plessy versus Ferguson and replace right. it with Brown versus Board. Right. Here's his three-part test. We'll see if it helps. Uh, Kavanaugh wrote in this decision saying you can't have a non-unanimous criminal verdict. He said, number one, ask if the prior decision was not just wrong, but egregiously wrong. I guess that's helpful a little bit. No, and not at all. It's yet another legal uh, nonsense uh, term, uh, element that the judges love to insert here to try to protect themselves and so that they can say, well, this this is the one decision. It's different than other decisions. We overturned for a really good reason because it's egregiously wrong. What is egregiously wrong versus wrong? It doesn't make any sense. It's a three-part test. Here's part two of the test. Number two is ask yourself, if the old decision caused a significant jurisprudential impact or real-world consequence. Well, once again, that's Nonsense, not gibberish. Not These lawyers who become judges who want to become famous. Kavanaugh wants to go down in history as the guy who wrote the three-part test for when you overturn presidential Connor, decisions. Aren't you just that a is little literally worried. what he's doing. Aren't you doing? just a little worried that the next time you appear before the United States Supreme Court <laughs> and just as Kavanaugh rifles through his notes and sees the transcript of this podcast, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. aren't you a little worried that your client is hey, going to suffer? Hey, Brett. Hey, Brett. Oh, no, no. no, Hey, hey, Brett. Now you've crossed the line. Now, the third uh, of the three-part test is justices should examine the reliance interests of parties before overturning a precedent. Okay, so this is something that at least is real, that he's mm -hmm. saying that this is a factor that goes into their decisions, the idea that a reliance interest is where somebody has acted in reliance on an existing law. If you have a a law precedent that says um, black and white people uh, can be barred from having uh, different train cars, and then a train company invests like a whole bunch of money in having cars that are separate and different 
uh, but equal uh, for black and white people. And then they've spent, you know, the equivalent of, of you know, 19-teens or 1800s or whatever, millions of dollars. Say they've spent thousands of dollars on these right. train cars. They've acted in reliance on that. And then you change the law and you say you have to integrate them. And they say, well, we can't because we have twice as many uh, twice as many uh, water fountains and train cars as we have to have. And we've spent all this money in reliance on this. You should take that into account. Now, in Plessy versus Ferguson, obviously the, out, the interest of integration outweighs any expense of uh, expenditure uh, on behalf of train companies or, or schools or whatever else. But in other cases, you have to think, what have people uh, uh, spent money in reliance yeah, on? So let's move to the $64,000 question yeah. here. Does all of this stuff by the Supreme Court, three-part test, let's kick the 1972 decision uh, out, is that giving us any clue as to what this court might do with respect to Roe versus Wade? So the first two factors, uh, uh, the first two factors, the first one being um, uh, whether it's egregiously wrong. Unfortunately, because that's not a real factor, because that's uh, Kavanaugh's gibberish, it doesn't help us at all, right? We can't look at, at, at abortion and say, well, is abortion wrong or egregiously wrong? You can say things like the fact that it has stood for a really long time, that the Roe versus Wade decision has stood for a really long time, and that uh, people have been getting abortions and that we are moral compasses have not gone haywire and exploded, mm -hmm. and it's not the worst thing in the world. Like, obviously, that is, is I think, evidence that it's not egregious. But somebody else is going to look at that and say, it doesn't matter. I think it's baby murder, and therefore, it's egregious, period. So it, this is not a real factor that actually, as you see when you try to put it into place, you can't actually use it to analyze anything. Second, this is second factor, the the... Would would overturning this uh, issue a significant real world consequence? Yeah, uh, or jurisprudential consequence. But who cares about that? That does that unravel a bunch of other laws? Who cares if the real world consequence matters? Then that's what matters. Unraveling laws is not real, Brett. But let's talk about real world consequences. <laughs> you're going to lose so hard whenever you appear before Brett Kavanaugh. I am. You're absolutely right. He's not going to like. He's this not going to like me. Well, is he going to? He would never do that. He's, he just calls balls and strikes. Oh, okay? you're right. I it's forgot. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, no, that's Roberts, Chief I, Justice Roberts, calls balls and strikes. So real world consequences in this case, yes, it, it's really important. And the way that that a judge would analyze that is they would say, is this something that affects people and how they live their lives, or is this some esoteric, you know, oh, the way that companies interact with each other in contracts and the way that they can break contracts with each other changes and this is pretty the real world impact is irrelevant right no this is real this is whether you can get an abortion or not mm -hmm. that's massive that's yep. a huge part of and our what about reliance interests and then the final factor reliance interest basically you would be talking about what con states that have spent lots of time and money in in like allowing people to get abortions, like building abortion clinics, and then those states or companies maybe that built abortion clinics would have to close them. Like that's something, but no one really thinks that that's enough of a well, an important you, factor. You've done a very good job of analyzing this intellectually. Yeah. From I think the, the third level is just it's no. never going to come in as a factor. But here's the, the here's the actual fact. The yeah. fact is, this is the Roberts Court. Uh -huh, uh -huh. There are four liberals who yeah. are never going to give an inch on Roe versus Wade. Correct. There are four conservatives who may, I don't, I wouldn't bet on it, but maybe all four of them will some someday, if they feel they've got the votes, will say, yeah, we're going to dump Roe versus maybe. Wade. But even assuming that's true, Roberts is in the middle. There's mm -hmm. no freaking way Roberts is going to be known as the guy that killed Roe versus Correct. Wade. Roberts he is twice obsessed. saved Obamacare. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He cares about his legacy. Yep. He wants to respect what the people want, and the people clearly want abortion rights. Yeah. So until and unless there's a huge tectonic shift on the court, right. I don't think there's any danger well, I mean, that Roe versus Wade is going to You don't know. You don't need that much of a tectonic shift on the court. 
you just need a couple of liberals. Maybe to one retire. vote, but probably more. Probably like two. two. Probably two votes right. because Roberts can probably corral and control some of the conservatives. Even you know he probably can't control Thomas, uh, but he might. I don't know. So let's talk about the effect of the pandemic on businesses who say, oh, my goodness, nobody's buying anything. And they yeah. look at their insurance policies mm. and they say, well, there's business interruption. I must have relief. You know, they say there are no atheists in foxholes, Connor. Well, they're, they're offended in, by that, but okay. There are no atheist contracting parties when they can get out of an obligation because of an, quote, act of God. Yeah, nobody would on moral grounds say, well, you know what? I just don't think this counts as an act yeah. of God. So I think I'm still going to be bound by my contract. So if you it's own Madison right Square Garden, and you promised to pay Barbara Streisand a couple of million dollars to sing, and mm-hmm. Bill de Blasio says, no, don't you dare, Madison Square Garden is off the hook. They don't have to pay Barbara Streisand. Right. But we're still going to have gigantic court fights because mere economic difficulties actually don't qualify as excuses for performing under contracts. A lot of contracts have a clause saying, look, if a party is excused from performing under the contract because of an act of God, or what's called force majeure, French for superior force, then you're off the hook. But the clauses sometimes can be very detailed, and they'll spell out a war, riot, terrorism, right. governmental interventions, sometimes pandemics. Sometimes, after SARS a few years ago, some contracts actually spelled out and said, we're not covering you mm-hmm. if it's a pandemic kind of thing like yeah. SARS. So, on, you know, your live performances, uh, performances are getting uh, canceled. Right, right. Uh, so it, it's going to be huge litigation. What are we talking about with force of majeure or God, act of God contracts, like why, uh, clauses in contracts? Why do we have these clauses in contracts? Well, they are to the benefit of the insurer, the insurer insurance company that is is ill issuing this policy of insurance or the person in a broadly broad sense uh, a person who is promising to perform the you could say the hard part of the contract right the part that is not going to get in, uh, impeded um, uh, by you know an act of God or, or a flood or a hurricane or a fire or a pandemic or something else and they exist because people want to plan for the future and they don't have uh, they don't have certainty. Nobody has certainty about the future. Anything could happen, right? There could be an earthquake uh, that no one can predict, and it comes out of nowhere, mm-hmm. um, and it totally screws everything up, and it destroys your whole company because it can't. You can't plan for it. So, force majeure, act of God, contract uh, clauses are kind of like a catch-all that tries to put into place uh, something that says we want to plan for uh, the set of known unknowns, but we can't plan for the unknown unknowns. But the question, of course, is what becomes an unknown unknown? If you live in a high fire risk area, it's probably not an unknown unknown that your house or company gets burned down by a fire. Right. It's not a, uh, it's not, uh, it's not a force majeure or act of God if there's a hurricane in a place where you get a hurricane three times a year. It's not an act of God if you get a pan, if uh, uh, to have a pandemic happen, if a pandemic happens kind of like clockwork every two years well, from now on. Let me give you a real world example, mm-hmm. uh, and it involves our favorite restaurant, at least mine, Musso and Frank's in Hollywood, which of course was the star. Not of a, our fra- favorite, but but a, a favorite. Once upon a time in Hollywood, right. it was a big star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was sort of swooping you up into that. It's my favorite. But I prefer Burger not, King. Yeah, well, Burger King's good. What? So Musso's in Hollywood. Uh, is shut down now. Uh, March 15, Mayor Garcetti in Los Angeles banned all restaurant dining. So Musso's submitted a claim to their insurance company. 
uh, the claim was denied. There is an exclusion in the policy that excludes claims for losses or damages caused by or resulting from any virus, bacterium, or other microorganism ah, this is a good that one. causes illness. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is this exclusion popped up after SARS in about 2003. But there's no definition of, quote, loss yeah, due to virus. Yeah, that's really tricky. And so the plaintiff's lawyer is saying, well, that clause only applies to a situation where a human being was sitting there having a martini at the same bar at Musso's that F. Scott Fitzgerald enjoyed his martini. Right. And he actually caught the virus there at the bar. And if you can prove that, okay, it's not covered. But other than that, it is. So this is an example of how you can say yeah. it's obvious, but it's a huge court fight this is that's going to really, go on for years. This is a really interesting uh, case. I expect that this uh, this type of case is actually going to get taught in law school contracts classes, you know, first-year contracts. How can They're, you teach? Nobody's in law school. Uh, yeah, Everybody's remote. Moment, it's all remote. But eventually, when we get back to real life, this is the sort of thing where you write a con- uh, write a clause in a contract and you write you want to be broad because you want to cover like, oh, well, I'm opening a, a restaurant and I, I I want to get insurance for that. And the insurance company wants to cover broadly all their bases and say, if you as the restaurant in control of your environment and making sure that you're cooking safe food, if you screw up and you let E. coli get into the salad and then your customers get sick, that's not the insurance company's fault. So the insurance company explicitly writes in their, in their policy and says, look, if you get your clients sick... That's not on us. That's on you. It's you're not covered. It's it, this is not part of the policy. And of course, the restaurant says, "Well, we cook our steaks uh, uh, burnt to a crisp. They're like eating asphalt." And of course, we wash our salads a lot, and so mm-hmm. we would never get anybody sick. There'll be no food poisoning here, and our losses, uh, we don't need those covered. And so they're very careful about their food preparation. And it might be a good thing for public policy, big picture. It might be good that insurance companies don't cover that because then people don't get sick because restaurants are very careful with their food preparation, right? But you're going to take the same wording, the same language that says uh, loss is called, caused by any virus or bacterium, and you're going to go, oh, well, if it blows in like COVID does mm-hmm. from the outside world, and the, the restaurant has no control over people getting sick, then how could that be their fault? It's not like, really, law is frequently all about pointing fingers and deciding who's the bad guy, right? The restaurant in this case is not really the bad guy. They haven't done anything wrong. Now, of course... Chernoff's next level, uh, uh, as he turns around, is going to say, or you know, his opponent, whatever, is going to turn around and say, "Well, you do have control if if you um, you know have uh, if you keep people socially distant and you only open one table in ten and make sure that nobody's near anybody and all your people wear masks, then maybe nobody gets sick there." But of course. If the if the city or county shuts down all restaurant dining, it can't be their fault. So there is no next level of argument. But it so is a really interesting. These are fascinating issues that argument. you've laid out. And you know what? In about seven seven and a half years, we'll know how the court has decided this particular I'm sure, dispute. Uh, I'm sure you'll be a law professor by then, and you'll be explaining this to your first year contract Wouldn't students. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, uh, we had some fun movies this week. I kind of inflicted these on Connor oh, and, no, and no. his mom, Damn Yankees, Moonstruck, The Trip, and North by Northwest. Classic. But tonight, Connor, you're inflicting a movie on us. I'm uh, inflicting want, a classic. Want, you want to tell folks? Uh, it's what, it's Miyazaki's want? Spirited Away, and I'm going to expose you to this, uh, the probably greatest anime director of all time. Um, Since it's supposedly even better than Kiki's Delivery Service, I am looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, big that. fan. Hope you folks have a safe week. We'll see you next time on Too Many Lawyers. <laughs>